John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, joining us is Michael Bumpus. And so, Michael, the news this morning, according to Adam Schefter, is that uh, Damon Snacks Harrison has four teams talking to him. He's now decided he is going to play football this year. He's got Green Bay. He's got the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, the Chicago Bears, and he's starting first visiting the Seattle Seahawks. How quickly and how much do you think the Seahawks need to do to get him on the roster? Um, I think you, you have to make this move, and I think you got to come at least close to what he's asking. And he has to, one, John, he has to fit what the Hawks want to do personality-wise, right? That's one of the best things about this organization is that they find guys that fit. Um, but something tells me they're going to make something work, and if they have an opportunity to do it, I think they do it ASAP, John. Well, and that's the thing that I think is so interesting because, you know, here he is. He's already missed three game checks. <clears throat> this will be entering week four, and, you know, you can't wait too late in the week because uh, you have to go through the COVID testing and all those different things. And so my guess is the fact that it's going to be Monday or Tuesday uh, and the fact that he picks Seattle first, I think that's the team that he may want to sign with. Because, again, you know, if he if it gets let's say he must have go to uh, Chicago and go to Green Bay and make those stops, that's going to be Thursday and he may not be able to get on the roster until the next week. Yeah, the Hawks definitely have logistics on their side. And the fact that he did pick Seattle first means something. Um, you want to talk to guys that you feel like you'd be a good fit first. And if they, they impress you, if, if you walk away feeling like that's a good situation. And some sometimes guys just pull the trigger. But you're right, John. Uh, time is on the Seahawks' side with this visit. And I hope that this is some type of foreshadowing that, that something's going to be done here. And you'd have to think that uh, he's had at least three guys calling him about the good experience they've had here. Quandre Diggs, the free safety, who was the team captain of the Lions. You've got Luke Wilson here, and you also got Nick Ballore here. But I have to think that, uh, you know, Quandre Diggs may have played one of the biggest parts in trying to recruit him because, again, I think this was the guy all along that they were looking for. They just didn't know if he was going to play or retire. Yeah, and... You know, John, players are, are bigger recruiters than coaches. Coaches can talk to these guys and tell them about the philosophy and this is how we're going to use you. This is what we believe in. But there's nothing like getting intel from guys who are in the system and who who know the ins and outs of this thing. So just like when Clowney got here, Dwayne Brown played a part in that. So I, I would say Diggs and Snacks have had a, at least a several conversations over this time. Well, and the thing for him is that, uh, you know, he hasn't been on too many winning teams. And here's a team right now that arguably is competing to get to the Super Bowl and maybe try to be a number one or number two seed. I mean, you know, I know Green Bay could be attractive. Chicago, eh, Cincinnati's not going to be there. That's why I think there's so many things in favor of Seattle. We just don't know the price. Yeah, I mean, Seattle's coming out 2-0. and You go down to Atlanta, you win impressively. That offense looks like it's getting something done. And if I'm Snacks, I'm looking at this defense, and I'm thinking, you know what, I can help this defense. Now, this defense is giving up a lot of yards, but they're still making plays when plays need to be made. I want to be a part of that. So the Hawks coming out 2-0 and is definitely helping the recruiting process. And then you, you top it off with a Sunday night thriller down in CenturyLink with Cam Newton and Bill Belichick. It's Seattle is a very attractive place, not just because of 
the 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 ways that they're winning and getting things done. But you talk about the culture and the players here, you hear another but good thing. So I think the Hawks have a good a good chance at this, John. So tell me what you think of the defense overall. Kind of give an overview of what you've seen because uh, you know everybody is extra critical, and in some ways that criticism is right. But I think some people are going a little bit overboard because even Pete Carroll says, okay, you know the pass rush is better than last year, just from the standpoint that they're not getting the finishing parts of the sacks, but they're getting more pressures. You know, they are blitzing more, which I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent, but certainly with Jamal Adams, it's good. But uh, kind of give an overview of what do you see of the defense? Uh, John, I see a defense that's a work in progress. I see a defense that um, makes plays. I mean, you got Jamal Adams out there making plays. Ben Tomeo has showed up in both games. LJ Collier, Dunbar has made plays. So I see a defense that's making plays, but I also want to remind people the circumstances of the game, right? Later on in that Atlanta game, you pick up a whole bunch of yards. Now, Cam just played out of his mind. Edelman, they performed at a high level. But it's not like these guys have been playing defenses that can't move the ball and can't produce points. So I say defense that's still in progress. I think that you need a guy like Snack. Snacks Harrison to come and join this team to help that defensive line, but they're getting around the quarterback. They're not finishing it. Now you look at the stats, and you're going to say, "Well, we don't see too much of, of progression here with this defense as far as getting after the quarterback or whatnot." But uh, just don't watch the ball. I want some people just to watch the pocket um, for two or three snaps. Just pick a couple of snaps, watch the pocket, and see how it's moving and collapsing. Now they have to finish. They have to take that next step but I feel like they're moving in the right direction but eventually you're going to want to see a performance where they just shut people down so I think they're okay I think they have potential to be a lot better but I see them moving in the right direction yeah and I think the big thing is it's also showing they've improved dramatically on stopping the run and that could get much better if Damon Harrison gets on the team too you know because they they're right now believe it or not is they're ranked last as far as yards allowed but they're in the top two or three as far as run stopping yeah, uh, you got to control the football game. How do you do that? Run stopping. And again, week one, they went up against Todd Gurley, who I felt underachieved a little bit. Second week, you go up against Cam Newton. You expect them to run the football. They don't really do that. They toss the ball around. So, yeah, I mean, they, there's always areas where you can improve. That's the beautiful thing about this game is you could have uh, one one side of the game, one side of the ball, one aspect of the game just really dialed in, but there's always going to be something else that you can work on to to make this team better. So, you know, I know Puna's grinding. I know Jay Reed is grinding, and if you get a guy like Snacks, that's going to help when it comes to running, uh, stopping the run. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So I think that's an encouraging thing. So overall, it uh, looks good. What, what, what do you think is clicking right now with Brian Schottenheimer calling the plays for Russell Wilson? John, I think he one he trusts Russell Wilson. They've had three years to work together, their third year now. And honestly, I love the move of him going up to the box, John. I, I've uh, now I've called football games, nothing at his level, but you do see the football game um, differently. You could you can almost see the whole field when you're on field level. I compared it to it's like you're playing you're playing chess, but your eyes are down on the same level as the pawns and all that stuff. You can't really see the moves. You you can kind of anticipate what they're kind of what they're doing, but you can't see it. You sit up top, you're looking down on the football field. You can see more of it, and the fact that he's able to go up there and then still be able to communicate with Russell Wilson. Um, it's great. So I, I just think that there's a lot more trust between the two. I think that he's Schottenheimer is seeing the game um, at a high level, just like Russell Wilson is. You got your coordinator 
and your quarterback just seeing the game and feeling the game and being on the same page, great things are happening. I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and I think that's working out very well. And, uh, you know, what, what do you think of the 30% increase in uh, two tight end sets? Because last year they ran t- two tight ends 11% of the time. <clears throat> this year they're up to 31%. Thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, you you got some good tight ends, right? You got Greg Olson, you got Disley, you got Hollister. Um, you still have Wilson out there. Um, excuse me, yeah, Luke Wilson. So um, I like it. It's crazy that they're doing that and they're not running the ball as much either. It's only two games, obviously, but we, we'll still see how the run game inf- uh, unfolds. But they're doing that and they're not throwing the ball, I mean, running the ball as much as they typically do. So that tells me, one, they want to protect Russell Wilson, and two, they just like what those tight ends bring to the game. They're those guys who could – who could uh, pass block and then drop into the flat. They're versatile. So when you have three to four really good tight ends or decent tight ends, you're going to find ways to use them and just give the perception or trying to deceive the defense. Look, this is a run formation, but we're going to boot out of this. You know, just trying to get matchups and exploit things. Yeah, no doubt. So I think that, that because again, you, it's hard to predict the two tight ends. I know talking to Brian Billick during the summer, you know, I, I said, okay, do you want more uh, San Francisco-type offense running game with pre-snap motion that uh, Kyle Shanahan's so good at doing, or would you rather have two tight ends? And he said, I'd rather do the two tight ends because it's so much less predictable for what you can do. And I think that that was one of the keys that hasn't been talked about much in the game on Sunday against the Patriots. Here they were in nickel most of the game, and uh, Seattle with the two tight ends, you know, a third of the game. And uh, you know now you got bigger bodies, and they were able to run the ball because you got bigger bodies going against smaller bodies, and they it got 30 carries and 254 yards or 154 yeah. yards. Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's a great observation, John. You, you get those tight ends out there, and you create a mismatch when it comes to the run games. They're trying to get a, a hundred. 90-pound guy to, to block a 225, 230-plus guy. It's just science. You know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Now, there are times where those nickels, those, those DBs are, are allowed to slip or will slip those blocks and make plays, but the percentages are just are just low. So it's creating mismatches. Where can you get an edge on a defense? And the Hawks are, are showing that they think is with multiple tight end sets. Yeah, so I think that, that worked out real well, too. Uh, what, did you, what did you think of Chris Carson and his improvements? Um, Chris Carson, he, it's it's crazy, right? He's more a, a factor in the pass game right now. Three three receiving touchdowns, no rushing touchdowns, but um, he did have a better game. And it's I, I'm really I'm really looking forward to this third game to see who the Hawks really are, John, because they ran the ball more than they rushed the ball um, last game against the Patriots. Um, but they did start start the game throwing the football and trying to open the game up. Obviously, in week one, they, they threw the ball way more than they ran the football. And I think this third game is going to tell us who they are. Um, are they a true balance team or are they a pass first team? And or, or do they just take advantage of the opportunities that they see? And that's what gets me excited um, about this football team is that you just don't really know, but you like what you see so far. Yeah, no doubt. I think that looks good. So uh, Michael Bumpus, of course, uh, will be talking on uh, Sunday as we get ready for the Dallas Cowboys coming in. Thanks for joining us. All right, John, have a good one. Okay, and of course, uh, you can uh, check out the show on the 710 Sports app, and of course, uh, and it's po- powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to uh, get the report card out, get some grades going. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for the, the report, report card with the professor. professor. 
Today, we look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories, we take the anecdotes, we take the social media comments, and we take the voices, and we attach grades to it. Boy, howdy, here for the next uh, today, tomorrow, and yesterday, helping us out with the report card. So, boy, howdy, what do we have? Well, howdy, John. We've got some interesting stories today, and one comes from the land of Zoom. One of the biggest uh, things that we've experienced now as a society, Bobby Wagner actually had a little uh, situation go on with a reporter named Corbin Smith um, when he saw something in the background of Corbin Smith's screen. He's gotten to play a lot of games against Dak Prescott dating back to his rookie year. But what areas do you think he's improved the most? Is that a cat in your... your, Yeah, I got four of them. Okay, sorry, (laughs) sorry, sorry. sorry. Go ahead, sorry. I was about to warn you about something in the back, but I guess you know about it. (laughs) What do you think, John, of, one, the cat in the background, and two, Bobby Wagner calling it out? Yeah, I like it. I, I'm going to give it a B-plus because, again, it's like, a, you know, it's so different because, you know, you normally have the settings where you have Bobby Wagner at the podium and he's looking out into the, uh, you know, into the room, which, of course, is, you know, kind of kind of a, you know, a nice little room where they have meetings and stuff like that. And so now it's like you've got different things because now it's like, OK, I'm answering the question, but look what I'm looking at here. So I'm going to give it a B-plus. Yeah, I would give it an A, except for the fact that I'm just wildly allergic to cats, John. Oh, yeah. And no, I am too. If I there's too. one thing that I'm not a big fan of in this whole Zoom land is more cats. I'm I'm kind of out on cats. I don't think that's a lot of value there. So uh, if there was a dog in the background, I'd give it an A+. But otherwise, no. This is a great story, and it is actually one of the funner things about some of this COVID development, how we've had to handle it as a society. We do get a little bit more of a personal touch with people, and we get inside their homes a little, and uh, I think it makes us a little more human when we relate to people. Mm -hmm. So uh, in that sense, I'll give it an A for the development of having an animal in the background of a meeting. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, okay. But uh, I'm I'm, I'm exactly like you with the cats, and so I'll tell you during the break uh, my usual standard uh, thing that I say about cats so. <laughs> sounds good we'll save that for the off-air yeah. times good call uh let's move on a little bit to uh, one of our favorites beast mode marshawn lynch he joined ariel Hawani's mma podcast and he said he's not going to rule out a potential return to seattle are they going to call you again oh, i don't know they got my boy that that, boy, that that young boy over there looking good but if they call you and say hey we need you again would you do it you said that if they called me and i mean you know i had to get on the phone with my kids and see what's going on. Because right now, I like what they got going on. So, you feel me? I'll stay planted right now. But if, you know, if it got spunky or something, though, you know, I'll never turn my back on my kids. John, what do you think? Is this a, a realistic thing? Is there a chance we see Marshawn Lynch this year? Watch. Well, here's, here's what could happen, because this is something I stumbled across during the offseason. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, as the season goes on, that he comes in and he signs to the practice squad. Because remember, you can take any player, any age. I mean, what, Philadelphia... Uh, the Eagles have uh, 42-year-old Josh McCown uh, stashed away on their practice squad. And, uh, you know, if you're Marshawn Lynch, I mean, yeah, you're only going to be getting 12000 a week, but also it helps you, you know, sell the things that he sells as far as in his stores and memorabilia and stuff like that. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And, again, you know, he would be – if he's on the active roster, and, of course, he would come in, I think, be on the practice squad, but if they need him in a game where they want him for the goal line and some short yardage plays, I can see it. Yeah. And because that's something I thought, no, that was that would be a consideration at the beginning of the season. But I can see why they can make that wait. So he came back last year. I can see him coming back this year and being again as long as he's willing to do it for twelve thousand a week. And of course, it's you know twelve thousand dollars in uh, income that he's probably not getting aside from all the things selling in his stores. That's a great point. I hadn't thought of it that way in terms of a marketing aspect for him. 
I mean, it does sound like he truly does still enjoy the Seahawks and mm-hmm. the people there. And it's really cool to hear him talk about Chris Carson like that, too. He's always been known, John, and you can speak to this really well, as being super supportive to the other running backs on the roster, huh? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And I think that uh, they, and you saw it last year, they had such great respect for him, you know, just being there. And he did well in the limited time that he was on the field. In fact, uh, you know, had it not been for a non-call and an interference, he would have scored the touchdown that he didn't get in the Super Bowl that would have given the Seahawks the number one, well, at least uh, the division, and a chance to even go deeper in the playoffs. I'll give an A for Marshawn for being willing and uh, you know just being positive towards Seattle and potentially coming back. I'll give him an A, but I'm going to give the potential of him actually coming back about a D. I think they'd have to have injuries to both Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde for this to even really be a possibility. So I'll probably give that a little bit lower grade. Okay. Uh, let's One more thing we want to get to here. Um, Adam Schefter said that the surprise of the surprise start of Justin Herbert for the Chargers last week actually got Schefter in trouble. The doctors gave him a injection in the rib area and accidentally punctured his lung. And so the shot occurs right before the game. He has a hard time breathing. He can't play. Justin Herbert, the rookie, the first round pick, finds out he's going to be making the start right as the game's beginning. You could imagine the cast because we're all watching at home and we see Justin Herbert go into the game. And in the world that we live in, usually you have an idea if there's a quarterback who's going to make a start unexpectedly. In this particular case, you say, Justin Herbert. I started getting texts from my boss right away like, did you miss something? I'm like, I had no idea Justin Herbert was starting. (laughs) And I don't think the Chargers knew either. John, what do you think? Is Adam Schefter on the hot seat after missing some breaking news? No, but I mean, he's totally backed up because if you go 60 seconds before the start of the game, you know, uh, nobody knew. I mean, the head coach, Anthony Lynn, didn't know. Uh, Certainly uh, the quarterback, uh, you know, uh, Justin Herbert, he didn't know because what happened is he was breathing heavy and having trouble breathing totally right before the start of the game. So I'll I'll give... uh, Adam a B because again he didn't know because nobody knew I mean that they knew that they had a slight rib injury on Friday but they took him off the injury report on Saturday and he was all set to, to go so it's like I don't know uh, I guess does Adam have to take the blame for the 60 seconds before the start of the game to be able to know there's not even any time to get a text there like that nobody knew and of course next thing you know uh, you got uh, Tyrod Taylor in the hospital. So, no, if if there was anybody at ESPN that's upset with him, they should be upset. He should be upset with them because, again, no, there was no way he could know. Yeah, you're absolutely right, John. There's no bad grades for Adam Schefter here. I mean, it'd be one thing if he got beat by 30 minutes by somebody else who had this news. But you're right. This is a crazy situation. But I do kind of chuckle at the idea of Adam Schefter being a little bit nervous and sweating because, John, you know, he's so well-connected and he yeah. gets so much information. He's he's usually first on everything in a world where the seconds of being first matter more than ever. Uh, so I do kind of enjoy a little bit that he might have been sweating and his uh, boss may have been pulling a little bit of a prank on him to say, hey, uh, you know, maybe we should be worried about you that you're not first on this. I think that's kind of clever. Oh, yeah, no doubt. But uh, yeah, he, he comes out on this one fine. Yeah, absolutely. What's what we got in the report card today, John? 
Okay, so, uh, you know, of course, you got the uh, game coming up here, which is going to be kind of fun to uh, get close to, and you kind of wonder how this Dallas Cowboy team is going to be. But, uh, you know, it's going to be good. Hey, be sure to check out the professor's notes on 710sports.com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line and uh, get you up to date uh, with uh, what you want to get to. So you can text us at 710-710. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Time to go on the busy hard seltzer text line and take your text questions. You can text us at 710-710. Boy, howdy, what do we have? Busy hard seltzer line is hot today, John. They're loving this. Great batch of questions so far from the 509. They want to know how likely it is that the Seahawks will sign Damon Snacks Harrison and for how much. Uh, you know, my guess is probably going to be around two million or so. I don't think it's going to be much more than that. I mean, it could be. You know, I don't. I can't imagine him signing for the minimum salary, but that's tending to think what most people get. I mean, hey, we just want Devonte Freeman signed for uh, one. million when he was hoping to get eight. And so, you know, we, we know that uh, from what I hear, you know, Clay Matthews was asking five. And so, you know, they're not going to go up to five, but I think, you know, maybe for 2 million. And of course, you know, some of that's going to be in play time as far as, you know, roster, if he's going to be on the active roster for a certain number of games. So I can see him getting, you know, uh, a base salary of 1050 with some things like that. So I think about 2 million. The 509 wants to know, John, would the Hawks and Raiders still be happy with going 3-3 three and three in division play this year, given their their uh, their schedules? Uh, you figure somebody's going to go 4-2, and two, uh, and, you know, Seattle might be the team to go 4-2, and two, but there's no doubt that, uh, you know, the, the Raiders, I think, uh, in, in the AFC West, you know, they have a chance to go 3-3, three, three, but, you know, I think the winner of this division can go 4-2, and two, and, hey, listen, if this team can go 4-2 and two in this division, I think they can win at least 11 games. The 425 has a good clarifying question, John, for you. Does having a guy go on IR like Bruce Irvin save any money on the cap space for the team? So, to a certain degree, it depends on the contract. You know, like, for example, uh, you know, if Bruce, I think he does have playtime incentive, which, of course, you know, what they do is they'll, they'll, they'll leave you 500000 a million or something like that. And if you are not on the active roster, and, of course, he's not going to be on the active roster for 14 games, so they'll save a little bit of money there. Uh, but, you know, once he got into the start of the regular season, a guy that's been in the league more than four years, a vested veteran, his base salary is guaranteed. And so you can't save money there. If it's a player that less than four years of experience, then it's a different story because then uh, that number will shrink for the number of games that he's going to miss. So, yeah, there's some. But like in the case of Bruce Irvin, there's some savings. And also in the case, uh, certainly, of Marquise Blair, there's some savings. No, actually, no, in the case of Marquise Blair, because he was a second-round pick, there's not going to be any savings there because it depends what round it goes to each year as far as whether there's going to be a reduction on the injured reserve list. Keep texting us, 710-710, powered by the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line. Uh, From the 206, a question about the wide receivers. Do you think the wide receivers are for the Seahawks are just amazing, or is Russell Wilson the one that's really making them look better than they are? No, I mean, Russell, Russell Wilson makes everybody look better than they are. 
We know that. I mean, we watched uh, him you know, coach up and play with Ricardo Lockett, a special teams player, and you saw that uh, you know he did a lot of good things. But, I mean, you look at Tyler Lockett's ability to get open, to read things, and you know scramble on the fly to get open. That's him. You know, DK Metcalf, you look at him and the awesome talents that he has. So, yeah, Russell, Russell gets the assist, but they get the ability to do all those things. The 509 wants you to put your prognosticator hat John, on, John. Who do you think is going to end up being considered the greater Seahawks wide receiver by the time their careers are over? Doug Baldwin or Tyler Lockett? Hmm, I think it depends how long Lockett stays. I mean, right now Baldwin has the edge, but let's say that he gets another contract and you know goes into his 30s, and I think you judge on a number of catches. Both are real good, but uh, in the end, I think that uh, you know that's where you get the good grades, and so uh, it could be. I mean, hey, he's because let's put it this way: he did the same thing as Doug Baldwin. I mean, he's he started out well because one of the things back in the Daryl Bevel days, it took time for receivers in their first or second year to be able to do the advancements that were there but also now he comes in and uh you know he he made that move just about the same age as doug baldwin so he could pass him depends on how much time he's in with this team test text message from the 425 isn't the pass rush a bigger need for the seahawks defense than run defense when considering snacks harrison uh it is but again it's like they, 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 from the very beginning of the uh, start of the season, they wanted one more defensive tackle for run stopping, and they didn't get it. You know, think I don't know if they were interested in Marcel Darius, but certainly they were interested in uh, you know getting something going with uh, you know Damon Snacks Harrison, so they could come out ahead on that. But yeah, they need a defensive end. But again, you know, it's like you know price is one thing, you know availability is another thing, and so uh, you know Clay Matthews wants more money than anybody's willing to spend, and so he's not gone so far. But no, pass rush is the bigger need. But again, this was a need, and they hope to address it if Damon Snacks Harrison comes in next week and signs. John, the 425 wants to know what the chances are of the Seahawks getting Terrell Suggs along with Snacks Harrison. They can. I mean, that would be a pass rush guy, and I'm the one who kind of thought about you know some of these older guys you know, like Cameron Wake and T- uh, Terrell Suggs you saw a couple years ago that they you know went ahead and got Dwight Freeney so I think that could be a consideration but you know more than likely it'd be one for after the bye week you know because again it's like okay uh, you know see where he is and see where he's training and all that stuff but I think that he could be a consideration you, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what happens with your J- Jabal Sheard you know a guy who's been in Indianapolis you know he's nobody's signed him this offseason he started making some visit he has some pass rush you know and I know he's in Detroit today for a visit. Following up on that, John, the 360 wants to know with a little bit of cap space that the Seahawks have, do you see them making a potential surprise splash trade this season? Uh, you always have to think there's a possibility. I mean, they made the, spa- uh, the splash trade in getting Jadevian Clowney last year. It turned out, even for a fifth-round pick, to get uh, Quandre Diggs. So they're going to be looking around. That's why John Snyder you know, didn't want to go and oh, not overpay, but pay too much for Jadevian Clowney because uh, what happens then, they have no ability to make those type of uh, moves that could happen that you didn't expect. Two... Let's say maligned players that the Texters want to know about, John. On the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line from the 253, is there any chance that the Raiders sign Earl Thomas to help mentor their young secondary? Uh... I'd say no. I don't. I don't see that as being a fit. I think that uh, you know. Well, <laughs> one thing is, it's like I don't know if you would put him in the mentoring stage. I mean, he mm-hmm. wasn't a mentor here. He was just a guy that was a great player who studied like crazy. You know, didn't interact too much as the team as the week went on. And then, of course, he did help on the field and all that stuff. But uh, you know, he could be. A, they might look at him, but I'd say no. 
from the 360 also in that vein. John, with all the injuries across the league, and if they continue, do you think Antonio Brown's going to get signed by a team if it keeps going that way? Mm, I tend to think no. I mean, you know, I think that he's too much problem for good. And, uh, you know, certainly when you start to run out of receivers, yeah, he's going to be a consideration. But right now he's on an eight-game suspension. That suspension could grow to 12, depending on what happens with the case uh, that they're studying, you know, the lawsuit that he has from his uh, female trainer. Uh, And so I'd still say no. Ready for some rapid-fire fantasy questions, John? People love to come to you for fantasy. Sure. 253 wants to know what your thoughts are on James Robinson as the running back for the Jags, since he's looked good in the first two weeks. uh, I mean, surprisingly good, yeah. I mean... Well, he's the undrafted guy, I believe, yeah. and so uh, you know he he's he's done a pretty good job. So you know, not not bad. Again, uh, their they their offensive line's a little banged up. They find out today that DJ Clark's not going to be able to play the wide receiver. But uh, you know, I thought that uh, you know he was going to hold off some people, and right now it looks like he is. Speaking of DJ Chark, um, he's out tonight. The two nine six wants to know if Keelan Cole is going to thrive against the awful Dolphins defense. Mm, I think he can because I mean they do it. Uh, say what you want about that. I mean Gardner Minshew puts up yards. He's had two, three touchdown days, and uh, this guy's not bad. So I think he can do well. And the one thing that uh, you saw, they now use more man defense. I think they were in 74% man last year, the Miami Dolphins, and they don't have Byron Jones. You know, and Xavier Howard, again, they have the most expensive cornerback duo in football, but Howard is a little bit behind because he had the COVID problem and he was injured and all that. No, uh, no Byron Jones. So, yeah, I think he can do pretty well. Fantasy quarterback question here for somebody who may not have drafted one high. From the 360, will Justin Herbert have better numbers than Daniel Jones moving through the rest of the season? Mm, I think he might, yeah. I mean, he's off to such a good start. The question is going to be, how long is he going to be able to start? And you figure that you know he's probably going to get at least a month with Tyrod Taylor having the punctured lung. And so, But the question is, they want to put Tyrod Taylor back when he's back 100% healthy. I don't know when he's going to be 100% healthy. The one thing we do know about Daniel Jones, as long as he doesn't get hurt, he's going to play the 16 games as a starter. John, we got a Husky fan here texting in who wants to watch Thursday Night Football tonight from the 253. Can Miles Gaskin, former Husky running back, have a 100 yard rushing game tonight? Uh, no. I. I <laughs> He won't. I mean, particularly with James Robinson. It's like, a, oh, it's just, no, that's not going to be the case. And, uh, you know, uh, stats right now lean would lean toward Jacksonville in this game as opposed to Miami. From the 425, they want to know if they should start Marquise Brown or Cooper Cup this week at wide receiver. Uh, I'd say uh, Marquise Brown because you got the Rams going against Buffalo and they've got a real good defense. And certainly, you know, Cup's going to get a lot of. Tredavious White uh, because, again, he's one of the best cornerbacks in the league. So I'd go the other way. I wouldn't go with Cup. Great question so far. we got two more here for you. From the 425, they want to know, will Dan Quinn be fired before the season's end? I don't think so. I mean, you know, they stayed with him last year after the 1-7 start. You know, Arthur Blank's not big on midseason firings. And, you know, Dan was able to get six out of the last eight wins, you know, 6-2 down the stretch. And I think he wants, because you say what you want, it's been a big disappointment. Things have been bad now for two years and two games, you know, because they haven't had winning records or anything like that. But he did get that team to the Super Bowl. And I think that's always going to be in the back of the mind of this owner, Arthur Blank. Let's end on a reflective note, John. We found out yesterday the passing of Gail Sayers. What's your favorite memory of Sayers? 
I mean, certainly the movie Brian's song is the best memory, but I think, you know, just watching that great ability to return kicks, to make runs, and just, you know, take it to another level, you know, particularly at a time, you know, when you had, uh, it was a running era then, you know, you had uh, a lot of, you know, running was such a key thing, but I mean, he was so different because he's kind of like one of the modern backs right now that you see that's so quick and he can do so many things, but uh, just watching any run that he had, I just feel robbed that uh, at the age of 26, you know, he had to kind of end his career. That's tough. Thanks, John. That's it for text today. Okay, that sounds good. So we are up next with our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And time for our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. So, Dave, maybe some relief on the defensive line that the Damon Snacks Harrison is going to make uh, four teams after him. But the first team he's going to visit is uh, Seattle, and that's going to be next week. So there's a chance that uh, they can get a big run-stopping defensive tackle that uh, could make this line even that much better. Not bad news, but not really addressing their need, is it? Yes, it is. I, I mean, because think about this is that, uh, you know, they needed, I mean, before the injuries, right, before the injury to Bruce Urban, the, finding out that Daryl Ta- Taylor was not going to be, you know, ready maybe by the sixth, seventh week of the season, you know, the bigger need was going to be a defensive tackle run stopper because if anything happens to Jaron Reed or to Puna Ford, then they're really thin at, the, the, at that area. You know, they would have to rely on the five techniques to be able to take over. But no, I think that they needed a run-stopping defensive tackle. You know, they made the move, uh, signed Anthony Rush of a 350-pound guy uh, to the practice squad. Now he's on the active roster. But no, I think you know, a Snacks Harrison has always been a need, whether it's him, Marcel Darius, or one of those big defensive tackles. You know, they were interested in Mike Daniels, but he ended up going to Cincinnati. All right, fair enough, but they still got to address their pass rushing is, is, was, was the point that I was making, and, and you're right, they... They did a good job against the run last week, but Cam Newton threw for almost 400 yards and wasn't really pressured much. So uh, adding talent is a good thing. I will certainly agree with you on that. Yeah. And so, no, I think that's been in the cards and in the and in the, the only thing that was holding anything up was his uh, you know, questioning whether he wanted to play or not this year. Because the one well, thing that's that what we, makes me wonder if a guy whose nickname is Snacks is in shape uh, at this point, you know, I, I don't know how big an issue that is, but. That would be my, my first question, Mark. Oh, yeah. No, it's, I think it's a big issue. And, of course, that's uh, big being the key word right there. But, no, right. I think that uh, you know they've, they've got to at least look at it, see where it is, and uh, see how he is. Fair enough. But again, no, I think that, uh, you know, again, it's like, okay, you're going you're gonna to have needs pop up all the time, but when you can add sure. a signature talent to a team, again, if he's in shape, then you've got to do it. No, I certainly agree. There's, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with adding talent. But so. they still got to find themselves a pass rush here in the next couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the defensive numbers, you know, when you look at it in the first two weeks have been, in some ways, off the charts bad. It's, it's, it's the worst uh, two-game start, I think, for passing yards in NFL history, is it not? It is, and that's true. But also, the teams had double-digit leads in the uh, second half. And yeah, they are 2-0. and oh. That's the most important Yeah, I mean, you've got to go to the bottom line. The bottom line is, you know, say we can talk about the stats and anything else, but they've been good enough against two two good quarterbacks, two uh, very good quarterbacks, to be able to uh, outscore them, but also have t- double-digit leads in the second half. Yep, fair enough. So that's going to be good. So overall, it's a, a kind of an interesting kind of week. Uh, 
What 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 do you where where do you kind of handicap the team that you used to like the Dallas Cowboys because you know mm. you you can talk about the great comeback we can talk about Dak Prescott the talent that they have on offense but they're almost as injured as the San Francisco 49ers you know down three cornerbacks down uh, <clears throat> starting two tackles down two linebackers and uh, you know other injuries starting to creep up I mean Demarcus Lawrence he's banged up with his knee and you know we can talk about the great game that Dak Prescott had but in game one they scored only 17 points against the Rams and they were down 19 points in the second half to the Falcons well I mean on on paper this looks like a shootout Dak Prescott was certainly outstanding in that comeback against Atlanta and and um you know that they did score a lot of points in that game you're certainly right about them being beat up on defense they're they're in they're in a pretty soft division I, I would I would venture to say maybe the softest in in the NFL but but uh, injuries are injuries, and and I think from the Seahawks standpoint, you know it's uh, they, they've got their game plan. I mean, their plan right now, their style right now is to win with offense. I think that against the Cowboys, they they continue they continue to see the run game being being a big factor. They got a chance, to, you know, really in, in a game like this, you certainly want to keep Dak Prescott off the field. It's your best chance to win. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see maybe a little more conservative uh, game plan, but. But, um, you know, they're dangerous. That's how I describe them. You know, when you've got the weapons they've got on offense, they're capable of scoring. And then, you know, you give, give yourselves a huge momentum boost with that come from behind win in a, in a game where they had some strange play calls and, and some real miscues at the beginning to, to turn it around in the middle of a game and, and, and manage to come back like that. I understand Atlanta is who they are, but uh, that's still the sort of thing that can, can galvanize the team. So they're coming in with momentum, that's for sure. Oh yeah, no doubt. And of course, uh, you know, Dak Prescott, uh, you know, he, they should have given him the contract. They did not. That uh, could have cost him so much more. Uh, but, uh, you know, you still kind of wonder, it's like, okay, you know, one of their strengths has been the offensive line. And if Tyron Smith's not able to play because of his neck injury, that's not a strength if uh, the offensive line is not a strength as that used to be, but they're really good at the three receivers. Yeah, they are, and 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 Dak, and like like we said, had a had a huge game last week. So uh, this one on paper looks like it'll be a shootout, and, and I think from the Seahawks' perspective, they they kind of like to control the ball, I would think, and keep Prescott off the field and and play it play it a little more conservatively. But that's that's an awfully tough thing to do when you've got DK Metcalf looking like he's looking and. And most importantly, Russell Wilson looking like he's looking. Oh yeah, no doubt. And that uh, they're looking pretty good. Uh, you know, Mariners uh, at least respectable. I thought that was pretty impressive that they were able to get two out of three against the Astros. And what you kind of hope, just for the sake of everything, is that the Astros don't beat the Texas Rangers today because if they do, they clinch the uh, pl- the playoff spot. And you you just like for them to still have a chance going into this four game series against the A's, which starts on Friday. Well, and they've got the outside chance at the at, at the wild card that Toronto has right now. I think they're four games behind them as well. But, but yeah, it's uh, it, it um, hey, they finished their home schedule and they weren't eliminated from the postseason. Now, again, it, it's being pointed out that if this was a 162 game season, they're on a pace to go 72 and 90, which is is what it is. But um, it's also a little bit more impressive than I thought they would be. So. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing this thing drag on as long as it can. But uh, as we talked about yesterday, you've seen a lot of progress, you know, and, and we talked about it yesterday, and, and I think Larry Stone wrote about it today in the in Seattle Times. You know, you're looking at the example set by the Padres and the White Sox, who, when they determined their young core was ready, went out and got themselves some veterans and, and this year find themselves in the postseason. 
And I think the Mariners can kind of take a look at the, that kind of prospect for next year based on, on how they played this year. Oh, no doubt. And I think that, uh, but you, you, and this, this is the fact that here they are, you know, still able to at least think about playoffs with uh, four games remaining is, is pretty good accomplishment. Definitely. Definitely. Definitely a, 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 a head of schedule accomplishment. Uh, again, it's a, you know, you know, and the Mariners are, have been pretty good about it. I, I don't, I agree with their decision not to bring up their young guys. And, and I think they appreciate the fact that they're actually playing at a 72 and 90 clip, not a 90 and 72 clip, but there's no question the progress was made this year. Yeah, which has been fun to uh, to watch, and you know, still getting some good pitching and key hitting. And hey, they have two more wins against the Astros than they did in the 19 games that they played against them last year when they were one and 18. Yeah, they do, and and uh, the Astros uh, they don't look like they're going to be much in the postseason unless they they have something that some switch that's going to click on or some, they, they look like fodder when, when postseason time comes around. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, uh, and what's, what's on your agenda today? Uh, well, um, just trying to stay dry, I suppose. It's nice that it's cleared up and everything like that. And, and looking forward to watching, uh, Minshew mania tonight. Uh, I think Jacksonville Miami is kind of an interesting matchup, especially, uh, with, uh, with the way that Gardner Minshew has played the first two weeks. We talked about it yesterday a little bit that he's, He's really, uh, he's really kind of emerged as, as a very fun player and, and a nice face for that Jacksonville franchise. Oh, no doubt about that. And of course, that's our Daily Dose of the Garage with Dave Grosby. Dave, talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Sounds good, John. Okay, and of course, I will be back tomorrow at 10. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.